Broadcasting live from a derelict Fry's Electronics, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strahler. And today we're kind of catching up a little bit on something that we both were talking about on the pod, away from the pod for a while there, and we're, we're catching up on Jordan Peele's Nope today is our main segment. And... We're kind of doing it just in time for the release of the digital renting period of Nope. So if anybody needs to catch up or missed it in the theaters, this is kind of the the catch up point for all of us right now. Oriental's still playing it, Milwaukee too. AMC's still oh, playing wow. it. Like you can still you can still catch it. And we'll probably get into this in the in the main segment here, but I think it would be an interesting juxtaposition to watch it uh, at home versus at the theater. So I maybe we'll have to co- go back around and give it another shot. Absolutely. But first, we've got a lot of catching up to do on our news because we had Dieselverse last week and, you know, we, we were kind of at a staggered release rate as well because of our big episode 100 uh, Vintacular. So... <laughs> First up, we've got Netflix's Bioshock movie has added uh, Hunger Games director Francis Lawrence and Blade Runner 2049 screenwriter Michael Green to its production. I have been so very tangentially following this Bioshock movie here. I feel like I don't trust Netflix a lot with properties that I actually have like a nostalgic, deeper connection to, like Bioshock. Those games are... I think masterpieces, all, all three of them are incredible in their own right, but I am more optimistic after the news of these two joining the project, because for as many problems as the Hunger Games has, or as many problems as I have with the Hunger Games, I feel like there are very interesting, competent moments in that franchise that I think would be an interesting translation over to something a lot more dark and disgusting and gritty like Rapture and Bioshock and all that, so I am more interested now than ever about this Bioshock movie. I think 2 is one of the most competently made blockbusters, especially franchise blockbusters of the 21st century, and it, fun fact, still has the longest sequence of continuous IMAX film footage ever in a movie at 50 minutes. And we talk about the Hunger Games weirdly often, I would say, but we always go back to that second one being like an actual film. Like it's it's yeah. a movie that makes sense and it's so much better than the intro and the conclusion of that well, series. It's a little sad that it's kind of buried in the middle there. I'll point out that Francis Lawrence 2 is the first one he did. He did all of them except the first oh, one. Oh, well, there so, you go. Those last couple are like serviceable as well, but 2 is really, I mean... Philip Seymour Hoffman's there. Oh, He's so good. He's being great. We're off topic now. But <laughs> yeah, I think he could bring a really good perspective to the Bioshock story. I think he's the kind of filmmaker that should be working with Netflix because he has an idea of how to do scope and yeah. good visual storytelling in a way that their streaming films often lack. Uh, and then, of course, Michael Green, Blade Runner 2049 is an absolute It's just so good. It's run. fantastic. Yeah. So and that, a good pairing for this property specifically, I think. Totally, totally. We should we should watch this one together. I, I th- have you played all the games? I've Are played you... none of the games. It's, oh my goodness, Garrett! The remaster is sitting downloaded on my <laughs> PS5, just waiting, begging to be played. Oh, you would adore those games, dude. That they are they are top notch, my friend. You oh. should you should get on those before this movie comes out because I can only imagine they're going to be 
taking a lot of liberties and bridging a lot of weird gaps between the second and the third games that are, again, it's the history of Netflix taking established properties and just like warping them in such weird ways. I, th- I think you should get the clean experience before you see it. Absolutely. And you know how into like deco punk and retro futurism oh, yes. and everything I am. So. That's why, I, I again, right up your alley, my friend. You, you would love it. But Seamus, Warner warning. <laughs> oh, is that the stinger? That's the, and I, I hit, I hit oh. the big button that runs the siren that we're both hearing right now. I love. I'm into it. It is blaring in our ears like a like an like a nuclear emergency. <laughs> so we've got just a whole bunch of stuff going on with Warner Brothers Discovery. If you didn't listen to our pop culture reference last week, go back listen to it. We're actually coherent. I promise. We recorded it <laughs> after the Diesel Thon. Warner Brothers Discovery, lots of stuff's moving around over there. Shazam 2 has been pushed from December to March 2023. And Aquaman 2 has been pushed from March 2023 to December 2023. As Warner Brothers Discovery only has enough money to release Black Adam, Don't Worry Darling, and the House Party remake this year. The House Party remake was pulled from its July 28th HBO Max drop date and will now premiere in movie theaters in December. Additionally, Evil Dead Rise, which was also initially planned as an HBO Max release, will debut theatrically in April 2023. The Christmas Story Legacy sequel, however, will still be an HBO Max exclusive, releasing in November. So, just the biggest shuffleboard (laughs) of... What's going to streaming? What's back on streaming? What's going to theaters? Because Warner Brothers is just trying to save every single buck that they can. This is an absolute cluster of just such crazy shuffling nonsense. I'm genuinely sad that the only thing that I was very excited about DC-wise, the Shazam sequel, is is being pushed. The one shining light here for me, I kind of mentioned this up top to you before we started here, is that... I think Black Adam has the opportunity, has the potential to become the next, like, Morbius. You know what I mean? Like, something so outrageously memeable and strange. That and nobody will go see twice? I want to go see Black Adam, Garrett. I know that sounds like the stupidest thing you've ever cur- come out of my mouth, but I'm, I'm, I think it would be funny and weird, and I don't know anything about Black Adam, and I... Don't necessarily like The Rock that much, but I, I want to see it. And I, I'm weirdly glad that that is somehow not getting pushed. I think it's insane that Warner Brothers Discovery is essentially gambling the entire future of the company <laughs> on Don't Worry Darling that has way more tabloid press than actual hype going into it with the whole Harry Styles, Shia LaBeouf, Olivia Wilde, Florence Pugh nonsense that we don't talk about on the show. And then... Black Adam, a rock character that literally nobody but The Rock cares about. (laughs) He cares so much. He cares so much because, don't forget, Seamus, the power hierarchy (laughs) of the DC Universe is about to change. Honestly, was that promo all leading up to Black Adam being the only thing released in the the window that it was supposed to be? They're making us watch Black Adam, Garrett. Does that come out soon? I'm assuming it comes out soon. It Hold really, on. it could. I'm not looking up any promo material. Black Adam is coming out October 21st. We'll be there. Why not, man? Why not? IMAX, the whole <laughs> nine yards. We're the only people in there. We'll have Black Adam t-shirts that we've custom made. We'll have taped 
yellow <laughs> lightning bolts to our chests. It's going to be like the new Gentle Minions thing where people just like go wild like it's cats or whatever. But that's the thing. You can't you can't court that audience. Morbius tried to court that audience <laughs> and it didn't work. Good for Evil Dead Rise, though. Glad I was about to say, yeah. Release. Yeah, that'll be fun. Maybe that'll be a good... Because you've still never seen... Army of Darkness. Uh, Army of Darkness. You've ne- you never dip your toes into the Ash versus the Evil Dead show, I, I assume. Not, no, it's on stars. That... I've got stars. There you but... go. It's it's a good show. I think I think that that's a fun excuse to get all ramped up in the Evil Dead again and maybe go see that one in the theater together. Well, let's move on to still kind of HBO Max news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is that Paramount Plus and Showtime are merging into one service. So now you can access your Showtime content for an additional fee on the Paramount Plus app. I don't know if they're going to be eventually phasing out the Showtime app, but at least they're doing the smart thing and not just saying, okay, we're getting rid of both of these and then it's going to be a completely new thing. This makes sense, I think, a lot more, frankly, than the merger of equals that's going on over at Warner Brothers Discovery because... Paramount Plus and Showtime are both famously underperforming streaming services. Yeah, and there, there's things on both of them that are, like, really shining and one of the few things drawing people into it. I think that this is a this is a decent move, and I will maybe watch Showtime programming now, because that's just one of them that I don't think I've ever... I think I got a free trial once, and, and that was all, all I got out of it. Well, the guy who pays for your Paramount Plus is not upgrading Showtime <laughs> tier, so sorry Maybe the guy that, that mooches off your Paramount Plus will upgrade it to the to the next tier, to, to even the playing field. I've, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep updated on this, see what happens, see if this is going to be a bigger industry trend. I mean, I'm assuming in 2024, when Disney gets full control of Hulu, you know that stuff's all going on to Disney oh, Plus. Oh, yeah, so. oh, yeah. Inching closer to that battle to streaming services too, like we keep saying, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot more of that. Finally, Taylor Swift has announced her next album, Midnight's, during her VMA Music Video of the Year acceptance speech. It will debut on October twenty same weekend Black Adam's coming out. I think this is a really interesting PR move for her because she's been getting a lot of flack lately, both for I'm sure you and all the listeners at home heard about she is the highest user of private jet fuel yeah. in the world yeah she got top of the list man that's that's fun and also i she was catching a lot of pr flack for rightfully i think being in the new david o russell movie who is a giant piece of crap yeah. so i think that this came at a suspiciously convenient time because all of a sudden all of those pr concerns are magically whisked away as yeah. oh yeah. man i can't wait for taylor swift's new album and that's the thing is that i i can't help but be excited for it because i she's an artist i genuinely enjoy and this new concept where it's about 13 sleepless nights that she's had throughout huh. her life that's a uniquely well-suited topic for that artist it's just that I wish she would, you know, maybe address some of the actual problems <laughs> that have been going on that she hasn't spoken a word about I don't know, man. Maybe one of those sleepless nights is about how bad she feels about selling out and being like a weird super billionaire with her jets. Who knows? That feels like all the people that like knew about January 6th ahead of time and are now talking about it in their books, like their big books. That has that energy to me of like, I'm not going to do it when it's right to talk about it. I'm going to do it when it'll make me money. 
Wow, you're 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 sticking it to Taylor right now. You're, I, did she say when it's coming out? Maybe she's just gonna it's, try to ride the wave October, of good publicity and... with with Black Adam. Right? Yes. Yes. Black Adam. Well, we'll see. This, I mean, I'll I'll definitely listen to it because I've been trying to keep pace with you Swifties out there. I think this will be interesting as maybe oh, almost definitely the first full album of hers that I've listened to that isn't remasters or, or re-records. So. It'll, it'll be interesting to see a, a truly modern direction that she's going with her music. I say we Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz it, and we go to see Black <laughs> Adam. We have our earbuds in with the new Taylor Swift album. I can only make it better if I'm, if I'm being real. <laughs> give it more heart. <laughs> no way it doesn't make it better. I agree. But what say you, Seamus, talk about some stuff we're actually excited to talk about with Jordan Peele's Nope. I think it's time. For today's main segment, we're going to be covering the new-ish Jordan Peele (laughs) horror film, Nope. So, spoiler-free off the top, which is going to be a little tricky, I think, considering how vague most of the marketing for this movie was. But Seamus, what did you think? I really enjoyed this newest installment of Jordan Peele's strange sci-fi horror thriller movies that he's just been absolutely bullseyeing every single time. I think this is, an, is a great addition to his filmography here as a director, and y- you just mentioned the marketing. I think it is the most clear marketing that any of his movies has has had, if Certainly. I'm being honest. While I initially didn't appreciate Hulu giving me all those new trailers when, when they dropped them that visually revealed a ton of stuff that the movie was actually going to be about. I Even despite that, I had an incredible time with this movie, and I I don't know if it would be at the bottom of my three for, for Jordan Peele, if I'm being honest. It might be it might be smack dab in the middle. It might have dethroned Us, if I'm being honest for I, it. I agree. I think it's better than Us. Um, not th- I love Us, the giant mess that it is. You and I would see that together opening yeah, night. Yeah, dude, I, for a while there, I was saying that I put Us above Get Out because I was an edgy little boy, but... Now, I Aren't mean, I <laughs> I try, I try, but now I can I can definitively say again, I agree with you. Still love us, love it to death. But Nope is just kind of incredible. I don't know. It, it, it worked for me on every level. Visually, it was stunning. The story was for what it is actually about. When we get into it, it is. It feels like one of the most contained and somehow grounded of his three films, and I would really like to see it again. I'm really happy that you told me before that it is actually still playing in some theaters because that that might be the move, man. I I thought this was fantastic. You mentioned the later trailers that were plastered all over Hulu and YouTube and everything give away a lot of visuals that you didn't necessarily want to see, but I do think there are definitely some surprises that are intact Oh, in yes. oh yes. this movie, or at least for me. I don't know if there's been other trailers since the movie came out that have given more spoilers but i'm gonna have to see this one again to know where Mm. it really falls for me within peel's filmography because it took the kind of disparate plot thread a plot b plot structure of us and crammed it into a more contained Mm. story like get out has with fewer characters with a certainly smaller scale story both in area covered and just the kind of story it's telling that i think this is kind of an equilibrium moment 
for him as a storyteller. Mm. It's combining a lot of themes from both of those films also, I think. Exploitation, ownership, like what constitutes owning a piece of art, what constitutes owning, I mean, an animal is definitely a big part of this movie. He's been able to refocus a lot of the through lines from his other works into this one. I'm really taken with this movie. I think maybe we should watch it at home. We were both saying that we were interested to see the difference, the the juxtaposition between the theater viewing and the home viewing. But maybe we watch it together when it get, when it hits the the little screen there, and we we really hit hit it point by point. Because I am too, man. I am I am also very taken with this movie, and it makes me feel like whatever Jordan Peele's next project is could go anywhere he could go fully grounded the next time around and make like a you know a very humanized human based kind of movie or he could he could go right back into the stars there or right back into the into the freaky psycho brain swapping twilight zone style stories that he is incredible at and this movie feels like a moment in his career that it's just very exciting that he could just he could go anywhere on the map there twilight zone despite his involvement in the actual Twilight Zone on CBS All Access, which is now nearly Plus. forgot about that. Right, right. Yes, I think Twilight Zone is a really good way to describe his filmography because they're an anthology of films mm-hmm. that deal with very similar themes that all have a kind of science fiction or supernatural twist to them. I think he's so blatantly inspired by those kinds of stories and so many others that's a really valuable way to view his filmography at least right now is as a collection of films that all kind of enrich each other thematically at least that's the way they work for me oh yeah i i agree completely and it would probably make little sense unless it was more of like a actual filmography but a box set of some kind of collection of blu-rays they 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 feel so conjoined to me in again that twilight zone black mirror kind of way that i i would love to have them all in that kind of perfect little package like i kind of contain them in my own mind shavis i see your little cloverfield brain ticking right now you can't hide from me jordan peele directs the next cloverfield starring daniel kaluuya oh i would i would explode one of the five chapters of this movie is called clover after all that is true. That is true. I'm having a hard time not talking to spoilers right now. The cast is really good. I think we can just say that. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya reteaming with him after Get Out. Kiki Palmer, who I've not seen in something in years. She's killing it. She's great. She kind of steals the movie, if I'm being entirely honest. Yeah, yeah. Steven Yeun. Steven Yeun, yeah. He's... Not in this movie as much as I wanted him to be, but... Dude, we are going to get into it, because, oh, man... Because he's my boy. Although, it was almost Jesse Plemons, that role, who also would have been excellent. Really? Yeah. Ooh, man. He had to turn it down for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I get. I get doing that switch, and I'd probably rather see Plemons in Killers of the Flower Moon. Plemons will be in the next one. He'll be in the next Peel movie. And then a bunch of people who I wasn't familiar with before, including Brandon Perea and Michael Wincott, who are both excellent in their roles. The tech 
Tech Boy and Cameraman. Tech Boy and Cameraman, that Loved new superhero both. show coming to <laughs> Peacock this fall. Their layer is in a Fry's Electronics. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the UFO it's, that's uh, in it, the Fry's Electronics-like uh, I was going to say it's a superhero-themed Fry's Electronics, and that's the cover. Oh, that's actually key. That's just Chuck, though, I think. Oh, yeah, I, think oh, I, I never saw Chuck. Chuck. Did I just write Chuck? Also, just want to shout out real quick before I think we get ready to move into spoilers. Yes, please. That uh, Ren Schmidt, who I actually mentioned this when you rec-centered this a few weeks back, also wonderful on For All Mankind, has a pretty small role in this, but she, you know, I'm glad to see her. But what say you we move into spoilers before we both say something that will get us in trouble? Absolutely. Like, final thoughts, I just, I guess, just go see it. So Go see it, yeah. Well, it's still in theaters if you can, but it'll probably be real kick-ass on your TV anyway, because it is a quality film. Absolutely. Facial spoilers, we open up with our Bible quote, which includes the word spectacle. Real strong thesis right up top oh, yeah. from Peel. That's all this movie is about. The two parallel stories, both involving Stephen Young's character, Jupe, and his experience with Gordy, and then what, oh. what transcends into the into the present day, and then everything that's going on with our other characters, OJ and Emerald, who are Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer and their little motley crew. It's all about the way that we exploit ourselves and what the lengths we'll go to and the danger we'll put mm. ourselves in for spectacle. It also is a movie that kind of gets mad at the audience for watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's so steeped in the those themes of, like, what or who you can treat in a certain way to gain that spectacle, to gain that upper hand in a system that has been pretty early on talk about their their great-great-great-grandfather who was the nameless horseback rider in the first film ever produced or something like that and okay Seamus then let's the first talk. moving the first moving picture the first moving picture excuse me Edward Moybridge they wanted to see it's a famous story they tell it in the movie there was a bet about whether or not a horse's four legs at any time when it was in full gallop actually were all off the ground at the same time they devised um, a series of cameras along a racetrack that all fired in quick succession, therefore being able to capture a moving image of the horse and therefore concluding also, yes, all four legs of a horse in full gallop do leave the ground at the same time. And that was our pop culture reference for this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, they take the theming of them being the descendants of this man and their their business in uh, show business with the horses and it goes all the way through with Jupe and Gordy and I guess we're in spoilers the alien spaceship guys that's aliens it's all aliens I know that was also revealed in all those Hulu things that I was talking about before also, which I was we've a little been saying sad about. it's aliens since the first poster to be well fair. yeah that's true ah it was a cloud in all the first ones man I was oh, ready for it's it to... a cloud in the movie too isn't it ah that's true for for a good while that cloud does not move is ah oh, so so good. I want to go back and I want to watch for the cloud now. That's one of the big things about rewatching it that I'm excited about. Because they only figure out it's the cloud, what, at least 30 minutes into this movie. Maybe more. Yeah. All of his movies are based 
a lot, I also think, in things are right in front of our faces the whole time, right up until the end. So I, I can only imagine that's that's going to be there in the background, unmoving. Like a monkey's paw. Like a monkey. The monkey's a paw anthology. I want to talk about also one of my favorite parts, including part of the cold open, all the gory carnage that is in this film that is maybe some of the most disturbing things I've seen in a movie in a long time. It's pretty wild. It's definitely not the way I expected this movie about (laughs) UFOs to begin. Yeah, sitcom monkey goes bananas on (laughs) castmates. That's, That's not okay. He rips these people apart, Garrett. It's not funny. The shoe standing on its tiptoe, what do you think about that? Because it's also that shoe is displayed on its tiptoe yes. in Stephen Ewan's creepy Gordy dungeon that he has in his office. For people who might not have seen it, Stephen Ewan's character, he was a child actor on this series back in the 90s, and he witnessed the attack but was spared. I've seen a lot of different interpretations. The way I immediately thought about it following the movie was OJ talks about bad miracles. Oh, Um, okay. Is the shoe standing on its end in an impossible way? Is that a bad miracle? And I've seen a lot of other interpretations, which I feel like not that they're incorrect and I'm not discounting them, but I think they come from a more like cinema sins as like it's like it's (laughs) shoes can't land that way or whatever like it means that his uh narration is unreliable and therefore we shouldn't believe anything in the flashback and i'm like i don't know (laughs) that sounds wrong to me that sounds wrong to me i think there are definitely other ways that we see the trauma of that moment manifest later in jupe's life like i mean the the really famous one that keeps getting pointed out is the Film canisters on the 35mm cameras look exactly like the eyes of the alien merchandise that he sells later at his theme park. Very interesting. Very interesting. I did not I did not clock that one, but that that is cool. Also, I've been thinking about the shoe in terms of like maybe it's the complete opposite of unreliable narrator. It's so burned in his head that this one bizarre detail of the carnage is so ingrained in him that he has to like have this shoe to look at in his museum and it solidifies a big part of that moment where Gordy is like reaching out to him after he's maimed two of his co-stars before he's shot by the police and maybe the idea of like that opening up that humanistic side of whatever or whoever is being exploited in their position when you do try to, you know, release that, when you try to become that human, that non-object that you're treated as, that's when your life ended, or that's when your ultimate doom is at hand, and you have to you just keep going. You just have to keep being jupe and open up a theme park and never stop your sideshows because that's the only thing that people are going to let you do and have that kind of success and fame for what you are. And that he seems to clearly feel like through his being spared by Gordy's rampage and his connection with Gordy, Mm, mm. that he feels like he can tame this predatory force in the UFO. He can have this kind of special connection with it that he's exempt from its rampage. Mm. 
that's the thing, that's the hubris that costs him his life later. Yeah, exactly. He still views him, he's living in this past of who he was. Emerald says it when they go into his office, like, oh, you're the, you're the Asian kid in that one show, and... He's like, yeah, that's me. He's kind of like owning it a little bit. And then he's he proud. turns. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. And then he ends up turning into that exploitative figure in the eyes of this, this untamable creature from space or I guess wherever. They don't really get into that. He is maybe one of my favorite parts of this movie. And that's what makes his like thousand yard stare SNL monologue where he's like they're cutting back to his memory of his co-stars being beaten to death it's so disturbing and so creepy and it's maybe one of the most effective parts of that movie for me before we get into more of the alien stuff absolutely because it feels like that's a commentary on child actors to me of like yeah oh yeah this kid you said it a little bit earlier this kid who was exploited in his own way and and went through this awful dangerous moment for the sake of entertainment is now for the rest of his life forced to regurgitate the single most traumatic moment of his life also the fact that so much of his identity of his theme park jupiter's claim yeah and his name jupe when his real name is like ricky or something all comes from another role that he had before he was on gordy's home again like forced to coast by on this childhood nostalgia kick that others have so that he's still he's a dancing monkey you know he's yeah exactly what a good part of that movie and i mean like we we should probably touch on the 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 ufos of it all huh and and about like the main ideas of i don't know i love how different OJ and Emerald are handling and reacting to so much of what the main story is when when the UFO finally gets really involved. But how believable they are as siblings, too. They're completely different characters that still feel related. Yeah, their interactions together are great, and a lot of the humor in this movie is coming from both of them, and Daniel Kaluuya's deadpan tone in a lot of, of what's happening he's he's very stoic through so much of this horrific stuff he's so funny in this movie which is a really <laughs> weird thing to say he's like the action hero of this film in a lot of ways the only one with any kind of sense about him he's nope all the time the ultimate straight man in a movie yeah. of insanity everyone else is kind of like okay we're on board we're doing this alien capture thing and he's just like he, he it's like his day job almost he's just going along with it he's the straight man that wears bicycle reflectors on the back of the hood of his scorpion king bright orange hoodie. <laughs> the ultimate plan to capture this thing on film was also so interesting to me the cameraman coming through with his like archaic custom crank film camera i and- think and i'll have to look this up it's a imax camera rigged to shoot hand cranked it looks like such a piece of equipment. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it, it, at least modeled after something like that. Yeah, hand-cranked IMAX camera. Crazy. Yes, I'm sad about his demise, but it, it has to be for the theming, you know? It has he also to happen. Did it to himself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They Everybody warned him to not. I guess his radio was on. I don't know. He should have known better. No, don't do that stuff. No, he knew not to go out and look it in the eye, and he did it for the for the perfect shot, the impossible shot. 
the bad miracle. Yeah, I, I thought his character specifically was incredibly intriguing. And again, a very straight man to like an angel, a different character that kind of just like folds themselves into their adventure. I wish I saw more of them together, if I'm being honest. They had a really good dynamic when they're sitting there under that tent with their yeah. digital camera and their film camera. And it's very much the the old school analog cinematographer and the young geeky tech boy honestly almost similar to the dynamic between emerald and oj they have this kind of that like impractical versus practical idea of what they're actually doing there at the ranch together it's 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 very fun to see them all kind of bounce off each other with those similar kind of character strands between each other also we should probably talk about the names uh because i only know what to do with a couple of them and i want to know what you make of them talking about the like the title card no i mean the names of the characters they all have fascinating weird names and oj and emerald feel pretty straightforward to me like those are both spectacle names right and sure sure um oj of course a reference to oj simpson emerald has to be especially considering the fact that jordan peele calls this out as not the name, but the film being directly inspired by The Wizard of Oz has to be Emerald City, the, the Oz's great palace that he's built that's all mm, a facade mm. for the scared little man hiding behind the curtain, which we'll get back to curtain imagery later because I've got some oh, stuff yeah. to talk about with that. But, like, Antler's Holst, I don't know what to do with. I guess, like, <laughs> there's, like, uh, there's a predator-prey kind of yeah, maybe. Hunter hunted with antlers. Angel. I, that is kind of straightforward because of how angelic by the end of this movie the UFO turns out to be. Yeah, yeah. Also, I took that as like he does become so much more vital to their entire plan from from the beginning than I thought his character would be initially. Totally. I mean, he's their guardian angel in a lot of ways. Yeah. Looking he, over everybody. He's the, the angel in the chair doing his computer angel stuff. Angel in the chair. And then Jupiter. That Do you know anything cool. about Roman mythology? Is that Roman mythology? Um. Yeah, Jupiter's Roman. He's Zeus, the head honcho. Well, know? there's something there. There you go. Unless you have somewhere else that you want to direct us, we could talk about curtain imagery real quick. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Because the the thing that really stuck out to me was when Jupe is hiding under the table from Gordy, which yes. is a, a great deal of the shots of the Gordy's home sequence are from Jupe's POV. There's this tablecloth hanging down in front of Jupe's face that is, is taking up the top maybe like quarter of the frame. Right, yeah. And it seems to be, to me the thing that keeps him from making direct eye contact with Gordy. Basilisk rules from Harry Potter that doesn't set Gordy off into a rage against him. But that that image of this strip of fabric across the top of the frame is repeated at the end when we see from the UFO's perspective after we learn that it's not a vessel, but in fact a organic entity... Mm. its own like unfolding angelic octopus dove body yeah like the unfurling of a massive sail mixed with like the movements of a jellyfish yeah from its point of view we also see a strip exactly in the same place as that tablecloth from jupe's perspective which further to me solidifies this 
cycle of going from trauma to the person who is exploiting who is the danger who is you know yeah it exactly it's they're they're all all their their points of view are they're they're separated by this this imagery but it's it's just to denote who is it's not like worthy of eyesight or, or eye contact almost but it's like it does make that separation a little more literal when they're they're physically even if it is by that thin veil which i mean might just be another metaphor there garrett it does separate them in a way that like it keeps jupe from gordy ostensibly in that sequence before it ends it, it keeps oj and his horses uh safe from the ufo when they're mm-hmm. like covering their eyes with the these sheets and blinders it's i think it's fantastic there also seems to be, kind of in a similar vein to me, some connective tissue between the fact that it's the balloons popping by floating upward into the light in the opening that sets yeah. Gordy off, and then the fact that the balloon literally of Jupe going up and being the thing that ultimately kills the UFO, which is named Jean Jacket by that point in the film. Right, Jean Jacket, the coolest UFO name of all time. I don't know necessarily what to do with that information, but it's a thing I noticed. No, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, so much connectivity between all this. As we're talking here, I really, really want to watch it again now because I feel like there has to be something more than just a genuinely horrifying sequence when Jupe's kids dress up like the aliens oh, to once again goodness. get the jump on who they think that they... Did you absolutely crap your pants when that happened? Because oh I it's did. It's so scary, Shane. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's so scary. But it's really wonderful because it's also the biggest laugh of the movie is when he says nope <laughs> yeah. and starts walking away. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. That sequence is perfect. It's so good because it's genuinely horrifying and, again, so funny by the end of it. It's also really sad when you think about how those kids got swallowed up in those alien costumes ultimately. Yeah. It is sad. Maybe the other most horrifying sequence of the entire movie is the that, inside that. of... Oh, my God. Not since the dumb Tom Cruise remake of War of the Worlds have I felt so uncomfortable about a UFO. One of the most disturbing things I've seen in a movie in years. Yeah, Um, just the claustrophobia, the way that it's shot so tight in the weird intestine canal thing of this this UFO. And just match that with the, the distant wailing of everyone being like sarlacc digested inside of it as it like passes overhead is just disgusting it's horrifying yeah it's the one-two punch of you being inside it first and seeing how how tight everything is seeing like when the woman runs into the horse skeleton when she sucked up next to like the the decomposing horse and hearing all of the screams from everywhere inside the ufo then to when we cut back down to OJ on the ground and then hearing their screams (sighs) and knowing full well what the horror inside is that's just kind of like a passing sound effect as as the UFO glides over. It's so upsetting. That and the Gordy stuff between, between him mauling people on the set and the interior of that UFO, it's in a filmography of very disturbing imagery throughout jordan peele's career now is gonna stick with me forever now from nope it is it is really upsetting i think that's one of the things that was so powerful about the first trailer that we saw was 
he almost gave us too many things to latch on to and be like, wait, this can't be just an alien movie. Yeah, which I yeah. think was a really effective and I honestly almost wondered while watching the movie how much of those things he wrote in to kind of give the marketing that ability to misdirect. You know, you see glimpses of the flying saucer in the clouds or whatever and and things getting levitated up like Kiki Palmer gets sucked up in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. But you also see things like a bloody ape fist. Dude, I swore that was going to be an alien reveal. Oh, I mean, that was well done. That was on purpose, but man. The same thing with the, you see the the kid's mask just like peeking over (sighs) one of the fences in the stable. Even you see uh, his co-star who was mauled by the ape, her veil flutter up for a second. You see the deformities of her face and like think that might be something sprinkles throughout this movie that make it feel so much more existential and so much deeper than just like, oh, UFO scary. Totally, absolutely. He even, you know, does the classic horror movie angle of like, at least one of the main characters is logistically invested in some kind of like financial, I guess that's a that's a major part of it. They're all trying to kind of make money or make a name for themselves with the footage, but just OJ's unforgiving, unrelenting, like I need to go like take care of the horses. Like it's the ranch. I know there's like an alien spaceship who lives there now, I guess, but <laughs> it's the ranch. I gotta go in the rain blood to feed and let the horses out, even though they're getting sucked up here. The very beginning of the movie before we know anything's wrong, his father gets a nickel through his oh, head. Dude, so sad. Gets sniped with a quarter. That that was pretty brutal even. Just like the, the way that the alien spaceship ejects non-natural material in that way is, is just such a weird, upsetting thing. Which makes me wonder about Antler Holst's camera. And if that's gonna, that like, oh, because I'm assuming it didn't get digested. So wherever the, the UFO crashed, you know, I wonder if that is somewhere to be, because it kind of like explodes and, un- yeah, and unravels yeah. and, and crashes to the ground after the balloon it's gotta goes be up. Old antler man. He's not, he wasn't in there for that long. He wasn't fully digested. I guess it gets exploded, but still, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, he could be in there somewhere. I really enjoyed Angel's solution of wrapping himself in barbed wire so that it gets rejected yeah and he gets rejected i was so scared that our boy was gonna die i'm be, i'm gonna be honest he made it i was i was sure he was gonna be done for by the end that definitely seems like they decided that the character was so endearing that they're like okay well maybe we, maybe we keep him you know <laughs> they shot they shot two versions and they were just like he's just too likable damn it well, I'm very interested to see Jordan Peele this week has actually hinted that he's not done in the Nope world. Oh, And so what? I'm really curious to see what kind of different perspective, because there is a million different ways you could kind of go about that. I think you could do a, a more of a straightforward sequel or continuation with the characters that we've learned about in this movie. But also there are characters who are kind of one-offs who I hate to do this because I know you're just going to jump right on board, but kind of in a Cloverfield <laughs> way yes. Yes, yes, that yes. there's a lot more to be mined from them specifically. And honestly, this almost reminds me more of things like World War Z or The Walking Dead, which have little glimpses of a story of a seemingly insignificant character that is a one-off like the guy in the tank and the pilot of the walking dead sure yeah yeah um or matthew fox's one-shot character in world war z who's supposed to have this whole <laughs> subplot that got cut oh so sad 
the guy with the chrome helmet from TMZ, I feel like he is somebody who might be. Like, how does he know to be there? What's going on with him? I feel like that's almost the angle I was thinking of. It's like the few, like what happens after this? Like they were trying to keep it under wraps the whole movie. By the end of it, it was kind of unraveling while they were having their showdown. And then by the real end of it, like the cops are there, the, the officials, the government are going to be able to, you know, get their hands on whatever they were, they were holding out there. The idea of like TMZ-ifying those kind of encounters and like what that would do to the world and Emerald's place in that world where maybe she has that experience. I I don't know. I feel like that would be an interesting way to go about it. Dude, put them all in that van with Angel and you got yourself a Scooby-Doo going. Oh, the scene where OJ is trapped in that van. Oh, and the music is slowly playing because it's like hovering right above him. That's an all-timer. That is an amazing sequence. So tense shot immaculately and so grossly with all the blood rain thing going on it's it's great the fact that you can milk several minutes of tension out of do i get out of the car that's just masterwork right there that's horror masterwork i can't wait to watch this again the more we talk about it like you said the more i can't wait to just pop it on yeah man i think i think a triple feature of just, like, really disturbing, uh, well-made movies is gonna be on the docket at some point. Specifically, I think I, I've, I've only seen both Us and Nope once, and I think Nope is higher on my rewatch list for sure. Me too, definitely, because I think Us, even though there, I'm sure, is tons to unpack, it's also such a mess that I don't feel like the threads are as, <laughs> like, the payoffs aren't as yeah, uh, that's true. rewarding. Again, there are things that we haven't even talked about in this that pay off really well in the third act, like the idea of, again, those successive cameras being the first Mm. moving image, the first film, and then you cut to the end where there's the wishing well photograph turning the wheel and getting all the different shots of the UFO, the final payoff. The Akira slide, that's not even a payoff, (laughs) but we just haven't talked about it yet. Real badass either way. Loved it. We were talking about the the analog versus the digital, the technology versus the natural, and the fact that the third act shows OJ riding a horse and Emerald riding a motorcycle. motorcycle. I think that's very indicative of that dynamic. It's a very good movie. I get jazzed. I love when we do this show and we just get more jazzed talking about the movie. Oh, yeah. I think this one has also been like burrowed in both of us because we haven't really talked about it outside the show and we have both wanted to i think because absolutely it it is maybe one of my favorite movie going experiences this year and i can't wait to see it again i can't wait to see the next one i would love an extended cut of some kind i don't know if he does he ever do those uh, like a director's cut and, and this isn't this isn't like when most people say oh like Oh, there's like a four-hour cut of Endgame out there. That's no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no son, that's called a working cut. Yeah, like, exactly. Different. But he said there was a three-hour cut of Nope. I would have watched all three hours. I would have loved three hours. So I hope Blu-ray, fingers crossed. Also sounds like there's going to be, which seems to be the standard now, which I'm really, really glad about, the IMAX expanding oh, ratios yes. on the Blu-ray. Always I appreciate this that. in IMAX, so I'm happy to hear that. Where should we go from here? I think we go to our pop culture reference. I guess, I guess so. Like most incredible movies, we're boiling it down to, damn, this is a good movie. We really got to watch it again. This week's pop culture reference is Day for Night. 
Day for Night is a filmmaking practice designed to create exactly what it sounds like, shooting nighttime sequences in daylight to make shooting easier. A common practice involves increasing contrast, adding a blue tint, and underexposing the image to achieve the desired effect. Sometimes additional or alternate steps can be taken, including optically or digitally altering the sky to add stars to the moon, or adjusting the method slightly to shoot at dusk. While a common practice for decades, the technique is often criticized, especially if executed poorly. A common tip-off for a day-for-night shot scene is visible long shadows produced by the sun. Today's main segment, Nope, features extensive sequences shot day-for-night with revolutionary camera setups. Cinematographer Hoyta van Hoytema designed an elaborate camera rig which combined a 65mm digital camera's infrared information with Panavision System's 65mm film information. He had employed a similar technique when shooting Ad Astra's lunar sequences by using 35mm camera and an infrared camera on a decommissioned 3D rig. The infrared darkened the sky. The infrared darkened the sky, similar to how using a red filter on black and white film turns blue sky black. However, because digital cameras are not able to match IMAX film's detail, for the sequences shot in IMAX, the frame had to be digitally heightened. This turned out not to be a problem, however, as the sky in these sequences needed to be digitally replaced anyway. Now, we didn't really talk about this too much during our main segment, if at all, Seamus, but this new Day for Night sequence really does look incredible. I didn't even think it was Day for Night. That's how good it looks. And it has yeah, a very... I was gonna say, I had to learn that post-viewing, more or less, because I was so en engrossed in it all. It was so well done, and I'm... I'm really used to noticing day for night when, in, like you said, when it is done a, a lot more poorly, but this was masterfully done. This new technique is something else. It's also one of those things where the scope of it makes it more impressive because you're seeing miles at a time. That level of realism, naturalism in filmmaking involving like this level this scale of sci-fi thriller i can't think of another film like that that has so successfully expertly done that because yeah, i can i can pick out a few that are pretty damn bad but not none of them that are this good that's one of the things i'm really excited for because like you i didn't realize until after the movie that it was day for night and Rewatching it and watching those sequences and looking at them as day for night sequences and with this insane camera rig in yeah. mind oh it's gonna be it's gonna be incredible all over again i i can't wait also makes me want to rewatch ad astra a movie i don't think you've seen i have not i would love to though let's do it i just got the blu-ray there let's we go watch. boys night boys night just us and brad pitt perfect but what do you say we save the rec center seamus i think we should let's do it save the rec center Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendation. Seamus, what do you got this week? I'm back to the video games, Garrett. I had my little break, but I'm I have been digging deeper and deeper into the Death Stranding director's cut that I haven't even scratched the surface of, I don't think at this point. I'm like halfway through the main story. And I've absolutely loved the original version of this game when it came out years ago, but this is like a completely new game, phenomenal on the PS5. There are so many new little extras and major additions that are just like, I don't even know how something that big could be cut from an original game with that idea and scope but it's game changing man and i know it's it's not really for everyone and i know you've got a million things on your list to play but it's like, it's like a 
Bioshock. Yeah, Bioshock's up there now. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, it's getting longer and longer, but it's like meditative. That's how I I can almost describe it. It's like almost like a real nature walk. The cinematography that they put into a game like this, it's breathtaking. And it's so bizarre. And the weirdest celebrities in the world are the main cast. And I highly recommend it to you, my friend. I think it's free on the upgraded PS Plus. It is. It's just that I have to wait until I have enough time and enough space on my PS5 to hold the thing yeah, while I kind of chip my way through it. You, know? <laughs> you also have to put aside like 10 hours at the beginning of this game to get into it or else you might fall off the fall off the, the thing there. But it is, it's so worth it, Garrett, I promise you. Well, some weekend when I've just got all the time in the world and I've actually played all the things I want to yeah, play. Yeah, a- after you've played all those Metal Gear Solid games that have been collecting dust on your shelf, well, then you can pop in Death Stranding. Now with this, the, the, the remake or the remaster of don't, the first couple is like... Don't you dare say those words out loud, Garrett. It is a lie and I will not get my hopes up again. Uh, I will not do it to it, myself. I just read an article about it this week, Seamus. Uh, I've read... I, do you know how many articles I've read, Garrett? It's I can't... I can't get hurt again like this. It's every year. <laughs> but this isn't a Metal Gear Solid cast. What do you have this week for the rec center? My rec center this week is The Last Witch Hunter starring Vin Diesel. Go! No, get, get out of here! Shut up! <laughs> um, it is, however, very different movie. Something I had always heard really good things about, wanted to see, and it popped up on HBO Max. And I was like, you know what? Now it sounds like a good time to watch Postcards from the Edge directed by Mike Nichols, written by Carrie Fisher, a kind of fictionalized version of her own life and her struggle with addiction and her complicated relationship with her mother. Meryl Streep plays the kind of Carrie Fisher role. Shirley MacLaine plays Debbie Reynolds better than Debbie Reynolds could play (laughs) Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) Nice, nice. Um... Dennis Quaid seems like he's probably playing Harrison Ford, which is not a great look for Harrison Ford. (laughs) Oh, boy. But just an absolutely all-star cast. My boy Gene Hackman, he's there. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. It's just a really charming, fascinating, surprisingly deep movie that has a lot of meta text, not only in the way it's kind of about Carrie Fisher and her life, adapted from her own novel of the same name, but also it's a film that kind of slowly breaks down its own layers of reality one at a time. Honestly, I feel like I'm glad I watched this in the context of I recently finished up the rehearsal on HBO Max. Oh. And this idea of the way that acting and real life and and fiction, and they all just kind of intertwine themselves to the point that we get confused about who we are and what we stand for, and do we mean what we're doing, or is everything just acting? And a lot of those same questions are being asked by this 30-year-old movie, and I think that it's a really rewarding watch, especially if you go in not underestimating it, not just going in being like, oh, I'm gonna watch this, you know, comedy. Because it's it's Mike Nichols. Dude did The Graduate. He knows what's going on. It's not like Carrie Fisher wrote a really good script, they hired really good actors, and then they just shot it. 
there's a lot going on thematically and behind the scenes, and I think it was a really rewarding watch. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. I've never really heard of that film before, but that that is genuinely I would I would love to give that a shot. I know Carrie Fisher is a got a lot of stories, got a lot of stories. Yeah. I'm sure she lays them out pretty bare in this, especially if she was the the writer of the. The book and the adaptation yep. here? She Wow. Yeah, then yeah, I'm in, man. That sounds great. HBO Max, right? HBO Max. Well, right you can. Do it well. well oh, get God, them while right, it's hot, yeah. you know. Got it. Got it. I got I to gotta race the clock. But that, sound, that sounds genuinely really interesting. It sounds pretty sad, if I'm being honest. But I, I mean, like you said, if there's, if there's that balance of that humor and, and reality there, I, I think that's, that's great. That's just what I'm looking for. But I think that wraps us up for our show this week. If you want to reach the show on social media, it's at PCR underscore podcast on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. It's weird that I put TikTok first this time. That was an accident. Hey, that's good, though. <laughs> you can catch up on our Vin Diesel content. Yes, yes, do that. And if you want to email the show directly about Vin Diesel, then you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, do all the interactions, comment <laughs> on our stuff, tweet at us. We will respond to you personally. Anything that you can do engagement-wise that'll help the show out immensely. All three of us will respond. The Pop Culture Reference account, you and I, all in a little oh, triangle. Yes, exactly. And we'll rope in Guillermo del Toro to talk about Death Stranding and Nightmare Alley when we can. That'll be there a special episode 150 for all the, all the Patreons, all the Twitter followers. Well, next week, we're actually kind of talking about a thematically similar film to this week's, um, something also we've been meaning to catch up on, but Dieselverse kind of put into a little bit of a postponement, is the new Predator film Prey, which you can stream right now on Hulu. So make sure you check that out before you come listen to us next week. Can't wait. Love the Predator movies. I haven't seen this one yet, but I'm I'm thrilled to get into it with you next week, man. Well, everybody, we will see you next week. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.